the theme for the evening talk is the uh, personal and the impersonal. Um, uh, Yesterday at uh, home, my uh, teenage uh, daughter, Nishona, who is uh, studying for her uh, A-level, is uh, one of the uh, subjects that she is doing, and they say, is uh, sociology. And she's doing writing. When I was at school, I never even heard of these things, but um, she's writing um, a feminist from a feminist perspective on having a baby as part of her thesis and where does the power lie in decision making? Does it lie with uh, uh, the the mother and having the baby at home or in a hospital? Does it lie with the father or as a joint decision? Or does it lie with the obstetrician? and generally his and sometimes his or her uh, view. Where does the power and responsibility uh, lie? And she's writing this uh, as part of her her school work. And in reading and looking at uh, some of the research that she uh, did, one of the um, uh, small bits of information which um, most of you should know whether you're parents or not, is that the reason for the gender of a baby um, is due to the father. This made me smile when I uh, uh, read this, because one wonders um, what choice the father had in this. So. In the talking uh, with you this evening, I would like to attend to personal and impersonal, and sometimes in the very construction of our lives, and especially our personality and in our inner life, we have a tendency, which I call alarming, to dwell immensely and frequently on the personal features of life the storylines which you and I create, the issues which are uh, going on for us, pleasurable and painful as they may be, the certain kind of personalities and characters in the stage of life, our life with others, does tend to carry with it a, a tremendous focus, a kind of priority, and you and I find ourselves, willy-nilly, living in a world in which the personal is the reality. The personal things of life is the thing of life, the story of our life, what we are, our roles, our personalities, how we relate to other people, how they relate to us, our, uh, our jobs, our personal history, our future possible history, if we have one. All of that weaves together and we call it the story of our, of our life. And it does seem, it feels, due to the 
arising of the feeling of I and my inside that house, it is still, well, that is the truth, that is the reality, and life is very, very personal in that respect. And it would appear that in this personal life that you and I have, there are a whole variety, and we are told regularly enough, a whole variety of choices that we can make. There it is, our life is going on, day by day, hour by hour. Various things going on, you've been experiencing them in your day-to-day here, on the uh, retreats here, and lots of personal issues, we heard some accounts of it in the inquiry this afternoon, arising in one's mind, and the mind is, in a way is telling us in these personal things which are arising, somehow it's saying, this needs attending to. This needs to be addressed, it needs to be expressed, it needs to be worked with. So something arises, we wouldn't actually say, in in, um, actual terms, oh, when I arrive on the retreat at Gaia House, um, I'll think I'll have this experience this afternoon, because I'll be ready for it. And then I'll wake up in the morning, I think I'll have that one, for the morning time, because I'm usually a bit clearer and better in the morning. So, there it all seems to be, oh, this is happening personally, this issue, if there's an issue for any of you, this issue which is arising, and it feels very personal, because others don't seem to be uh, having it, or don't have it in the same way as I am having it, and there's a personal aspect, it seems very personal, as I said. And the awareness is telling us directly or indirectly, deal with it, attend to it. Look, it's demanding attention. It's demanding attention because it's causing suffering. For what? For one's own mind. For one's own emotional life. For one's own physical life. How is it that though something arises inside of myself, and though every expression inside of myself is saying, I don't want it, but this difficulty, this personality problem, this issue, this unresolved conflict, this whatever. Yet it arises. Every message inside is somehow saying, indicating through the awareness, resolve it. Yet, the anguish, the awareness, and the thought about, I wish I could be clear about this, doesn't seem to make the difference. seems terribly unfair because we've been told so frequently that we have freedom of choice. Well, the intelligent thing with freedom of choice would be, well, the first choice of life would, okay, 7.35, from this moment, I can't be bothered to wait till January the 1st, from this moment, no more inner suffering for the rest of my life, I've decided. I've spent the last 20, 30, 40, 50, some of you are older, 60, 70 years, I've decided this is enough. I've made this choice. It's going to be happiness and bliss all the way, (laughs) right to death. No interruption. Now, we could say this, we could all start chanting it. (laughs) 
there's there, there some are fat hope they've got of succeeding. And there's something in the so-called personal and in the so-called language of choice. Seems like something inner seems so, not in a cold way, extraordinarily impersonal. How could suffering, in a deeper sense, be really personal? Because if it's personal in a certain way, one would say, well, I, I, don't, I don't want it anymore. I'll, I'll finish with it. Nobody's going to say, oh, I can't wait to get to Guy House. I've had so much suffering. Just can't wait for it. <laughs> so something in the personal, in its arising in our life, called suffering, called anguish, called problem, called unresolved issues, seems extraordinarily impersonal. Because it makes, takes not a blind bit of notice of one's wishes, of one's readiness, of one's preparation, of one's meditation practice, of one's commitment to be here and now. Extraordinary thing. No human being would want to make themselves depressed, make themselves unhappy. No human being would say, well, I'll, I'll think I'll choose a really depressed day. So this impersonal feature of things is right where this so-called personal life is. And so just as in the book, it, it tells, tells us, oh, from the, um, the male, whatever it's called, swimming up to the woman in making love, and then out comes the male or female, I'm not intelligent, go to school very long, um, <laughs> unlike my daughter, um, and then out of this comes the, gen- comes the gender. We say, oh, it's very personal. It's something in the movement of life, in the unfolding of life, is extraordinarily impersonal. And so therefore my question is, my asking is, could a little bit more contemplation, not in a cold way, I'm going to insist on this, on the impersonal nature of things, contribute, it's important here, to understanding our so-called personal life. Could it? I remember when I was a, a, a monk, seems like um, lifetimes ago uh, now, somebody actually, actually my daughter's mother asked me if I thought about going back to Thailand and my daughter uh, uh, fled the nest. And um, thought has arisen uh, a few times. Uh, one finds oneself in the personal and impersonal process of life, uh, uh, things um, um, unfolding. And rather ironic, I suppose, that sometimes the great loves of one's life, um, life comes and doesn't give much opportunity for it. And I had the uh, great privilege of pretty well uh, ten, year, 10 years of much solitude uh, in the East. Lived in a monastery several years and d- didn't learn to speak the language. It was 
wonderful way to keep solitude. <laughs> and one finds oneself with, uh, making some sacrifices. I don't want to go too much about it, sacrifices about these things. But I remember the time in the cave that there, there, lovely, lovely life of uh, such uh, solitude with, with the nature. And one young Thai came to find me in the, in the uh, cave living in uh, uh, Kopangan. And in the time that he came to uh, visit me, main purpose was he wanted to get to New Zealand. This was his wish. And could I, as a monk sitting in a cave, help him? Uh, the answer of which was no. Uh, and within a week or two, rather a sad story, but within a week or two, his father, in great tears, came up, came up to the cave and asked me to come down to the village to see his dead son. And when I arrived in the village, he had five bullets in his chest. And he'd been killed in an argument in the police station by a police officer in the police station. And I, so the family in the, in the, in the village asked me as a near monk to uh, a chant and pay their respects and form that uh, a ritual for the family, for the village. And I remember the immediacy of response, this is the personal and the impersonal again, of in Thai culture, they will say again and again in bereavement, Ke ge, those of you who know Thai will know this, Ke ge jep dai, Ke ge jep dai, Ke ge aging, jet pain. Die, death. Go, get, get, die. Like a mantra, it is said in the villages. And in the saying, the repetition of the mantra, go, get, get, die. Birth, aging, pain, death. Ajahn Buddhadasa, my uh, teacher, began his evening talks with dear brothers and sisters in birth, aging, pain, and death. That's how the talks began. And so, in the very process of things, it seemed, from my observation, to help people in a kind of impersonal view of that which appears most personal. All are subject to birth, aging, pain and death. All, without exception, are subject to this. And therefore, the teachings while acknowledging and paying respect to the process and unfolding events of what you and I are living in and participating in, not by choice of birth, but by birth, not by choice of ageing, but by ageing, nor by choice of pain, nor by choice of death, in the movement of life. We participate in all of this. It's personal. Could this understanding, the contribution, the awareness of how utterly impersonal it is help to put our life in perspective? 
to put it in your perspective will take much of the fear and anxiety out of what? Out of birth, out of ageing, out of pain, out of death. Because we understand it in another light, another way, another order, another sense of things. Sometimes we feel, and this is where we need to uh, attend to and uh, listen to ourselves, sometimes we need to attend to the specifics and the particulars of issues that arise uh, for us. And the feeling factor, as I mentioned, sometimes it does feel very personal and something needs resolving, and yet, by matter of just awareness, doesn't necessarily, and of itself, seem to change things. It's an extraordinary thing with us. Think about any issue in your life which is un- you feel is unclear, which you sense and feel is unresolved. It seems sometimes we say to ourselves and to others, <coughs> you know, I'm very, very aware of it. I'm so aware of this, this habit, this addiction, this problem, this conflict, this confusion, yet somehow the awareness doesn't seem to be ending the problem. I just feel I'm just aware of it. Why isn't it getting resolved? And therefore at times we can find ourselves kind of limbering and lingering and drifting and moving on with something and rather painfully aware of something. What would, how would we find, what would be the, the, the resolution? Sometimes we say to ourselves, actually I uh, don't have the resources in myself. So I try to work on this for myself. I don't seem to be getting the clarity, the wisdom, the insight and the understanding and we need the good counsel and the wisdom of, uh, of others. Sometimes that's an act of awareness and humility. Sometimes we say to ourselves, I've got this issue, it's unclear, it's unresolved, it's dragging on, I want to see as clarification as much as possible but I'm just relating to it in the same old way. I cannot expect change if I have an issue and I'm thinking about it and responding to it and have an attitude about it, an intention, which I have had before. Because the evidence is telling me brutally. I'm not resolving it because I've got the same intention, the same attitude as I've had in the past. And so sometimes we have to ask ourselves what is a different way of looking at this which feels very unfamiliar to me. The familiarism hasn't worked. One is still miserable. Therefore, what is an unfamiliar way to look at it? And the extraordinary and not unusual thing is that when something is unfamiliar as a fresh way of looking at something, it feels abstract. Of course it does. Of course it does. Because one's got no feeling for it. 
So look at something in the same old way. It feels right because I keep looking in this way, but it's perpetuating problems and difficulties. Therefore, that isn't working. Therefore, I want to look in a completely fresh way. If I allow inwardly for myself to look at it in a fresh way, it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel anything. It feels a theory. It feels an abstract idea. Of course it does. Mind doesn't know anything about it. Nor does the heart. As one person said in our small uh, uh, group today with um, um, loving-kindness meditations there, the metta meditations, and if you lean on Yanai or Christina or Martin, you'll probably get one later on, and um, lean on with kindness, of course. <laughs> and as one person said, uh, when I first heard about loving-kindness metta meditations, it seemed rather ethereal, rather abstract, rather theoretical, and and uh, couldn't see how they could be of any use. But then one starts practicing, cultivating, working, and as the person said, it actually really begins to transform a way of looking at things. So in the same way, in the same light here, if we catch ourselves in that painful loop, which is not resolving something, it isn't easy, part of the meditation process, to stop the mind and rather also to ask ourselves what is another completely fresh way to look at this situation? Sometimes friends don't have much um, confidence in the inner life so they might use it, say something more impersonal Sometimes people will say to themselves, their friends say this to themselves on retreat, if the Buddha, because he's up there in the metaphysics, if the Buddha was in my situation, what would the Buddha, how would the Buddha respond to this? Or or someone may have great confidence in the the rabbi from uh, Nazareth, some of us love him very much, what would Jesus or, uh, or uh, one of the Mother Teresa or someone that one has a heartfelt uh, connection. How would they respond in the face of these circumstances? You know, and sometimes mine will come up where they're not so stupid as to get themselves into it in the first place. But just, to, just imagine they might. <laughs> so how would one respond? So sometimes it, 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 to inspire, to investigate, to, to look, we need, as it were, to forget the personal with its limitation and to actually ask, not to be afraid. What would be the wise thing to do? That's the kind of question I might ask myself. Difficult situation or whatever I've got to handle or deal with or attend to. What, 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 what's the wise thing to do in this situation? And sometimes, when we actually ask ourselves that, really genuinely ask ourselves that, and we keep and be quietly persistent with asking, quite remarkable how much can come out of us to handle a situation well. We're not prepared to, to live in the conditioned personality syndrome which sometimes cannot resolve issues. And we're not going to put up with a mind that does that. Because it just doesn't resolve difficulties. And how sometimes, in all of that, 
the, the, where there's a kind of um, restlessness that comes with it, it's very easy. It can, and I think we have to be rather vigilant about this, is we're in situations, all of us, and we need to attend to, we need to, to uh, 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 deal with, and, and it's been difficult. Think of any situation and it's been difficult. One of the indicators that we're not coping with it very well, whatever, whatever that might be, is that in the thick of it, the thought will arise never again. This is totally out to lunch thinking. Never again. I'll never get into that job again. That kind of work. I'll never get into a relationship again. I'll never have any more children. Um, I'll never go on a retreat again. That's, that one is a popular one here. <laughs> so in the midst of difficulty, and the mind is having a difficulty accommodating and coping with something, the reactive factor comes in. And one takes a mild degree of comfort in it at the time. But of course, totally impersonal. So, those who say never again are the most likely to repeat history. One is actually, think of it, actually setting up the seed for, re- for reproduction of history. Never again in the thick of difficulty is not very wise. And therefore one can find oneself in due course right back where what? Where one started. So there's awareness, there's issue. Something is unresolved uh, uh, with us. We want to find the wisdom for its resolution. A bridge to that wisdom is is called awareness. It's called giving attention to. It's being connected with. And you see, sometimes things are going well and beautifully, and then the mind begins to undermine it. And I just saw actually in New Yorker magazine a rather sweet cartoon. It made, 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 me, made me smile. It's rather appropriate for this time of year. Um, um, Joseph and um, Mary are there in the, in the cow shed in um, Beth- Bethlehem. You know, why? The, I, 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 I go to the West Bank, so I go to Bethlehem, work with the young Palestinians and others. Why they ever built a church over this cow shed was really tragic, but that's another story. So, and Joseph. Um, said, oh, born on December 25th. That means we've got to find a babysitter for New Year's Eve. <laughs> so, uh, sometimes in, one sees a situation which could be a joyful and happy event. You know, having a baby, etc. is a, a lo- lovely event. And immediately the thought arises, oh no, it's going to mean this. 
And so the mind in its movement, up comes through the mind, a kind of despairing or negative thought, it projects itself into the future, but sadly it undermines the event of the present because of what it might mean, in this case one week later, for Mary and Joseph. Never mind having the Son of God in your arms. What about New Year's Eve? <laughs> so the inner life, in the, in the watching and knowing of ourselves, looks at those hard or reactive or negative uh, patterns, freedoms, movements taking place. Sees clearly there's no wisdom in it. And that if we can, not easy, if we can to stop and to be still and be silent and be receptive enough in ourselves to see, to take interest, where is the wisdom to handle the situation well? Sometimes, I, I've got in mind here the inquiry this afternoon, very normal for those of you who haven't participated or lent an ear on inquiries in the Dharma Hall. Fairly normal, typical one, I think. Uh, um, di- um, different from our, uh, others, people sharing, having that openness and that uh, courage uh, to do so. And um, I was... Um, rather brought a wry smile to my face after I left the meditation hall, a, a few uh, notes, some um, requests for one-to-one, and uh, in terms of that, or one or two others, uh, while I remember, while I'm talking, please come, library, I'll come put a lift up, just go in and hang out outside and I'll uh, uh, see you as you wait. And I picked up a couple of notes off the uh, uh, board outside and there were two descriptions or two comments on the inquiry period and, and they brought the right smile one said skillful and the other said inappropriate etc so uh, in keeping with that uh, uh, the stoic element of the Buddhist tradition one ear for praise and the other ear for blame, and hopingly one is keeping between one's two ears. And so sometimes, in the listening, as was mentioned in the uh, uh, beginning of the uh, inquiry uh, uh, time, our own responses to all these things uh, matter, with appreciation or with the voice of criticism, both uh, perfectly fine and well, and as both did with the uh, uh, notes, in the uh, response there, that acknowledgement of how one uh, views and sees uh, a situation. The uh, final measure of all these things is, um, of course, some, in these cases, uh, comment on the person, in this case Christopher, um, but more and far more importantly is contribution, hopefully, as I said, towards insight and understanding for the person who's in the, engaged in the communication. And the essential core thread, whether in the personal light, whether in the impersonal uh, light that is explored, there's one central core issue that's involved, resolution of suffering. 
that is the core issue. And therefore the transformation of the inner life to resolve uh, suffering. And sometimes, right in the very spot of the uh, meditations in the silence of the day, right in the very time of listening to the evening talk, or the quiet moments in the garden, or any inquiry, or whatever, the climate of uh, cooperation, the climate of stillness and silence, makes for the potential for a complete, unshakable resolution of suffering. About anything, over anything. Things just come to place, fall into place. And it too seems again to be quite personal. Quite personal is, oh, I'm having a difficult day. I'm having a difficult time on this retreat. I've, I've been here two or three days and it's, I'm sure it's two or three lifetimes. And, and that feels uh, the personal feature of it. Who knows in this room, in the impersonal light of things, what is coming together? Who knows? So, as we explore with ourselves, and we work with ourselves, and we listen to others, and we listen to ourselves, and we express ourselves to ourselves, or to others, or whatever, who knows, in the impersonal nature of things, which is profoundly more significant than our so-called personal life, what is coming together to make the transformation and the wisdom happen? Sometimes we hardly know when we're on the edge of realization, when we are on the edge of a genuinely liberating understanding about things. When we're on the edge of not feeling trapped, not at all trapped in what? In, in der, 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 die. Not feeling trapped in the field of birth, aging, pain or death. Through the teachings, the Dharma, can do, can do for each and every one of us, is make a contribution to attending to so-called personal things, remind us not to, ex to neglect nor forget the benefit of um, sometimes a more kind of impersonal, receptive, connected, but more impersonal awareness of processes, of unfolding nature, be very, very clear about it, and, of course, give us really solid reminders. Please, please stop and ask, find out from, from the way of things, from inside of oneself, where is the wisdom for this situation? What is it to act wisely in the face of? Because this world is not especially an agreeable place to live in. It isn't. Sometimes it's beautifully agreeable. But as long as there are human beings wandering around on this earth, 
it, sometimes it's going to be thoroughly disagreeable. Disagreeable people come and sit, have the audacity to sit up here in the front row. <laughs> Some of us are very disagreeable. So in a world which is sometimes agreeable and sometimes disagreeable, it's a challenge to find the wisdom in the face of. Because it is hopeless trying to make the world thoroughly agreeable. Not one human being in the field of Kurgejebdai has succeeded in making this world a thoroughly agreeable place to live in. Look at that, look, look at that. You know, sometimes we wanted to concrete it over, but I said, no, no, let's leave it up there. So as a reminder, I had a lot of very agreeable things to say. Look what happened to him. I just got a note. <laughs> it's a measure of the difference of effect, I would say. <laughs> So we're looking at the world and facing the world of presentation of what comes to us in the field of the pleasant and the unpleasant, the field of the agreeable and the dis disagreeable. Tremendous challenge to finding wisdom to be with what is. You can find that wisdom, it is, liber it is liberating. As I said, maybe, possibly in the field of that, some of that understanding things are more impersonal like can be a support for that wisdom. In other words, for God's sake, let's stop, stop taking things so personally about anything. And there's something that gives a whisper, an intimation of, of something liberating and enlightening. And that's what the teachings point. May all be beings live with awareness. May all beings live with insight and wisdom. May all beings live a life free from imprisonment within birth, aging, pain and death. So let's have two or three silence minutes together, shall we please?